And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. give a shout out to connectors you guys are so awesome we're doing an event here in two weeks called journey through the bible we're getting excited about it and and so we had a lot of candy to purchase and we put out there and said hey guys we're, we're needing money people want to give extra to, to help cover expenses and you guys covered everything on the candy thank you guys so very much and because you did that we had a opportunity this last week I got a, a uh, text message from the cross-country coach that said, hey, um, we don't, we're, our team, our junior high runners, both boys and girls, have qualified to go to the state, but because it's not an OSSAA um, official event, the school will not pay our entryway. And I said, well, how much is it? And she said, $150. And I said, hey, we'll, we will cover it. We will sponsor it. I said, my, the only thing is, is you got to put Connect Church on the tushy of all the runners. <laughs> they did not put it on the tushy of all the runners, but they did great. The boys got fourth, girls got fifth overall. Our very own uh, Porter Scantlin ran as a sixth grader. He was running as eighth graders, did very well, and, and it was so great to, to see that and, uh, and to celebrate that with them, but it's because of your guys' faithfulness that allowed us to step out and, and do something so very cool. We're going to be talking for the next few weeks. The, the <clears throat> title of the message series is Kaleo. It's the Greek word for called. And God has called us. He didn't just say, hey, you know, I came to earth, and I came to save you, and I came to, to transform you. But he goes, I've called you to something greater. And Connect Church is made up of all kinds of people that give of themselves and care and, and, and go the extra mile. We, uh, at the last uh, community dinner that we had, Terry was in the kitchen doing dishes, and she goes, hey, do you know we don't have any hot water? I'm like, of course we do. We've got a hot, I said, we've got a coffee maker right there. Just turn the knob, and you got hot water on demand. And she says, you know, I, I don't really think that's the safest way to do dishes. And so the hot water heater was out. I talked to the trustees. They're like, yeah, let's go ahead and order one. So we ordered one, and I thought, this is easy peasy. I can do this myself. Pulled it out of the box, undid all the, well, first of all, I had to call Kelly because I couldn't get the uh, knobs done for the water heater. And so he texts me back, and he goes, hey, just a point of reference, lefty Lucy, righty tidy. And so I'm, I'm, I'm actually at, at a... Uh, parent-teacher conference, I read the text, I start laughing, and the teacher thought I was laughing at her, like, no, no, I'm not laughing at you. I'm a college-educated person who just got told lefty-loosey, righty-tighty. So much fun. 
<clears throat> and so then we came back in. He goes, hey, you need to order these parts. And so I, I go on the Lowe's website because they can order it. I can just go there and pick it up. And the boys and Terry were out running errands on Friday. I said, hey, just go pick this up at Lowe's. It's so cool. You scan this. A locker pops open. You reach in there and you grab it. You bring it back to me. Easy peasy, whatever the rest of it is. Lemon squeezy. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And came back in, and I go to connect it to the water, hot water heater, and it's too big. The, the, the knobby thing is too big. I'm like, this is just, a, it's got to be a joke, right? And so after trying some different ways of making it fit, I thought, it's <laughs> a great one. I thought if I put it on there and I duct tape it on there, it, water. Just one of you guys, water. So my baptism came early. So I texted Kelly, and I said, Kelly, uh, I'm not able to get this. It's, this is the part. This is what's going on. It's a three-quarters, it's a half. And, and Kelly goes, don't worry, I got your back. And so thank you to Kelly who came in and, and, and saved my cookies on that. But if, if you're at Connect Church, you're saying, man, I want to be involved, and I want to, do, I want to see great things. And you might be thinking, a water heater, how does that change lives? Trust me. It changes lives. And when you're washing dishes and they're sanitized because the water's hot, it saves lives too. But everything that, that you do when you, you think about this, being involved in children's church in the back, uh, serving in nursery, being a, a door greeter, making sure that the coffee and the donut holes are out there, everything that we do is about allowing people to come in and experience God, experience what he has in store for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, and this is our key verse for our series, it says, To you who are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. To you that were called. He didn't say suggested. He didn't say encouraged, but we were called. It's such a, a, a stronger sense of what God is speaking to our lives and God is calling into us. And I'm going to read our, our scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20-31. Paul says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolishness, foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to those and saved those who believe. Jews demanded miraculous signs. Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's saying the, the world, doesn't matter where you are, you're looking for certain things. There's people out there saying, man, I want miraculous signs. I want to see the miraculous and I'll believe. But God is saying to the strength of the Jews were looking for the miraculous signs, God became weakness. They, they thought there's no way that our Messiah would die on a cross for us. In fact, Jewish people, when they read in Isaiah, they, they read about a Messiah, a saving Savior, and they read about a sacrificing Savior. In, in a lot of their thought, they thought there would be two different Messiahs that would come, one that would be riding on a white horse to save us, and the other one who would be humble and, and, and lay out, down his life for us. But Paul says, Jesus became all those things for us. Verse 24, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than, the wisdom, than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were before you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were people of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and, and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, redemption. Therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Do you ever like to talk about what you've accomplished? Uh, Terry and I, we, we are the parents of two amazing sons. And our younger son likes to come in all the time and tell me this. I'm stronger than you are, Dad. My older son likes to come in and tell me this. I'm faster than you are, Dad. Both of them are 100% right at this stage of my life. But Paul is saying, you know, we, we looked at the boast on what we can do. Look, I can do this. Look, I can do this. Look, I can do this. But Paul is saying that our intelligence, our wisdom, our smarts pales in comparison to God. And then he says our strength pales in comparison to God. We are called to bid, to call forth, to, to send forth a message to say, come, you are called. What are we called? First of all, we are called to care. When we see that evil and wicked things happening in the world, there should be inside of us something that, that rises up and says, that's not right, that's not fair. But we were called to care for one another as well. That when we see other people going through stuff, say, man, I want to pray for you, I want to encourage you, I want to lift you up. A, a person that I've entered into a friendship with over the last month or so, Tom Harrison, was, I was walking to his church, and he had pastored a church for 29 years, and he said the first year he, he went there, he preached three sermons, and he just he, he built off those three sermons. And he drew us a, 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 a triangle, which I probably should have brought something up here to draw you a triangle, but you guys know what a triangle looks like, right? I mean, I'm just going to step out there. But he says a church has to have, the Greek word is koinonia, community, love, care. And you look at, at Jesus, and he wanted the people to know when God became man, when he took on flesh, when he became one of us, he wanted to show us exactly what love looked like. And so you get this sense when Jesus comes to Peter, and Peter had just denied Jesus three times, and he asked him this question, do you love me? And he's saying, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think we're at that point in our, our relationship yet. He goes, but I do love you like a brother. Jesus came back again and goes, hey, I, I want you to know something. Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter's like, hey, remember, we have not hit that point in our relationship yet. I, I love you like a brother. He comes back again. He says, do you love me like a brother? And Peter's like, dude, totally, I can, I can jump on board with that. That's what I've been saying all along. It, it just took you a while to hear me. But something happened when Pentecost came. When the Holy Spirit invaded planet Earth, and the Holy Spirit came down and rushed to the disciples, at that moment, Peter's brotherly love, phileo love, the, the Philadelphia is named after this type of love, the city of brotherly love. Suddenly his love turned into agape, unconditional love. 
know, it's crazy, and I, and I share this with the leadership team on Wednesday. In English, we have one word for love. And so I will say I love things. I love pizza. And I'll say I, I love Terry. And you're probably wondering yourself right now, right? Does Mark love Terry the same way that he loves pizza? <laughs> Depending on how hungry I am, right? No, I don't. I mean, there's a different type of love, but we have this, this one generic word. Now, uh, you know, there's certain things that, that I do love. I was heartbroken this week as my Atlanta Braves were ushered out of the playoffs, and I was like, but they were supposed to win again. I was looking forward to the third straight National League Championship Series between the Braves and the Dodgers, and neither one of them are going, so I'm boycotting the rest of the, the playoffs. In my mind, it does not exist. But do I love Terry the same way I love the Braves? No. However, I have loved the Braves longer than I've loved Terry. We have one word, but in the church, there's got to be a sense where we're saying, you know what, there's something about our relationships where we care about people, we love people, we accept them, we say, hey, come in and, and be a part of us, and, and we're going to care about you, and we're going to love you, and we're going to make sure that great things take place. In Philippians 2, 19 through 24, it says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Don't you like it when someone takes a genuine interest in how you're doing? He says, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not to those of Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me from the work of the gospel I hope, therefore, to send to you as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident, of the Lord, that I myself will come soon. Look at Timothy. Timothy cares for you, and he cares for everything that's going on in your life. Don't you know what it's like when you have someone who just cares about you? Think about that one person in your life that's made the biggest impact. Why did they make an impact? They cared about you. They, they went the extra mile. They, they stepped up to the plate. Terry and I have a, a precious friend who's, who uh, on October 31st will be his ninth year in heaven. He, he's the one who's responsible for, for, for working all the work to get Terry and I to, together as a couple. And we were at Oklahoma Wesleyan. I was there with, with Chad and Tana and Asher and Jack and, and Emma. And, uh, and I see him running around. I so much want to go to him and say, hey, this might be weird, but your dad's an amazing person who, who changed my life in so many positive ways. I tell you this story, and what was it about Brian that made him so unique? Was he the smartest person in my class? No, that was, that was Dan Benedict. Was he the most athletic person in my graduating class? No, that was, that was Jason Myers. But Brian had this thing about him, that when you were talking to him, you were the only person in his room, in, in his world. Here's what's amazing. There were 15 of us on campus, at least 15 of us, who thought that we were Brian's best friend. Why was that? Because he cared. 
He had that Timothy factor about him. To say that you care and not act is not care at all because true compassion demands action. The Greek word for passion is, is this deep yearning that from your bowels it comes up and you can feel it. We know we talk about a gut instinct. Well, compassion is like I've got to do something. I've got to care about it. I, I want you to know that there is a, a deep moving to action. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion and healed their sick. In, verse, in Matthew 20, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received the sight and followed him. When, when Jesus saw and had compassion, he knew, I've got to do something about it. When Jesus was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and, and blind Bartimaeus hollers out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus asked him a question, what do you want me to do? I mean, first of all, I find this really funny. Isn't it obvious a blind man is hollering out for you? What do you want me to do? How many times do we holler out to the God and say, what do you want? What do you want from me? And he's saying, I want to see. Or I was reading the Bible on, on Monday and in Luke chapter 5, a, a person comes to Jesus and says, if you're willing, heal me. You know what Jesus says? I am willing, and I will heal. He had compassion on people. See, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I care about what matters to Jesus. The, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I become like him. And, he, and, and, and so then I, I learn what it means to be Jesus. I learn what to see the world is through his eyes to understand what Jesus is all about. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I become like him. There's a story that Jesus tells. It's called the story of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it. A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and, and this was a dangerous road. I mean, think about a, a bad alley that you would be walking down, and you're scared, and you're looking all around. I mean, that, that road would be the equivalent of living in Chicago right now. And so... People were robbed, and they were beaten, and they were, their, their possessions were taken on this road all the time. And for me, I'm like, you know, there's got to be a better way to get from Jericho to Jerusalem than traveling that road. There were places where you could hide, you could jump out, you could scare people, you could take their belongings. You could do serious damage to them. But this man didn't care. He was on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem. And he was attacked, and he was stabbed, and he was beaten. And he was left for dead. And all of his stuff was stolen from him. You see, the reason why Jesus tells this story is a man came to him and he wanted to justify himself and he said, Jesus, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy's like, okay, I can do that. I've done all these things. He said, I've keeping all, all the Ten Commandments. I've done all this stuff. But who is my neighbor? You see, for the Jewish people, the Samaritans, there's no kind way of saying it, they were a half-breed. Back when, when the Babylonians came in and they took the, the, the Jewish people off in the hostage, the Samaritans came back and they were half-Jewish and they were half some other race, some other people group. 
And so the Jewish, and they, they looked at him and said, man, they're not like us. And so you stay in your land, we'll stay in our land, and we will never, ever meet. In fact, if you were traveling as a Jewish person, you would go all the way around Samaria. That's why in John chapter 4, it's so weird that Jesus walked right through Samaria because no Jewish person would be caught dead or alive in Samaria. This man was beaten, a Samaritan. It, it tells us in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 31, a priest had me going by the... <clears throat> The priest had me going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He says, well, if, if I walk around, he'll never know I'm here, and I can pretend like I didn't see him. You ever done that? Yeah. We, we've all done that. If I, if I don't see it, it's not really there. Verse 32, so a Levite, who was a part of the, the priestly tribe, when he came to the place, saw him, and he too passed on the other side. This Jewish man, laying beaten. He sees the priest, he'll stop. He sees the Levite, well surely he'll stop, and, and neither one of them. And then what happens? A Samaritan comes passing by, and he's thinking to himself, oh great, he's probably going to beat me up and take what's left of me. What does the Samaritan do? He stops. He takes care of his wounds, he bandages him up, he puts him on his donkey, he takes him to town, and he tells the innkeeper, here's money to take care of this man. When I come back through, if there's any extra that you've paid for him, I'll take care of all accounts. Take care of him. Jesus asked this question, who was this man's neighbor? See, it's easy for us to love people that's easy to love, Right? You have your list of people like, man, I love hanging out with these people, and these are the people I love hanging out with. And we have our list of people that when we hang out with them, they just drive us crazy. And Jesus is saying, we love everybody. We love everybody. You see, everyone has a worldview, a set of beliefs that evolved from their family, upbringing, cultural influences, and personal life experiences that make sense of the reality and ultimately shapes one's values. In the late 30s, early 40s in Germany, there was a man who took power, and his name was Adolf Hitler. And he discovered that he could blame the, Israel, the, the Jewish people for all their problems, and people would jump, jump on board. And so he did that, and he would, he would gather in pastors, and he would tell them, you take care of the church, and I'll take care of the state, and you just do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it, and everything's going to be okay. And so we had pastors who stood up and said, that is not right, I will not follow you, I follow only Christ. But then there was a businessman. His name was Schindler. Maybe you've seen the movie Schindler's List. And you understand the gravity of it, but there was a certain scene when he's sitting there and he's watching these Jewish people because what they were doing is they, were, they take, took all their property, they took all their possessions, and they were shipping them to the factories to be slaves. This was before they started shipping them off to, to, to do tests on them. It was a hot day, and they're all laughing and joking around, drinking their iced tea, drinking whatever cold beverages they had. 
while these Jews were stalked shoulder to shoulder, body to body, in these trains, and they were hot. He heard them screaming, he heard them hollering, he finally, something inside of him said, I can't handle this anymore, so he ordered them to water down the trains. And so they do, they grab out the, hose, the fire hose, and they start watering down the trains, and water's coming through the openings of it, and the people are just drinking the water just coming through there as much as they can, and they are desperate for water, and they're desperate for it. And the German soldiers are laughing at him. The Nazi soldiers are laughing at him. And they're like, how mean are you? You're giving them hope. There is no hope for them. They're going to die anyway. Something broke inside of Schindler at that moment. And he decided, I'll do whatever I need to do to free as many Jewish people as I can. At the end of the movie, there's this touching scene. I want to share it with you. Of him asking himself, what more could I have done? Watch the scene with us. For this, 
I could have got one more person. And I didn't. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> What more could I have done? We, we face these economies. How can I take care? How can I help out? How can I serve? How can I be used by God? And everything that we do, every way that we step out and say, you know what, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow His calling. It represents lives that are changed, lives that are saved. Maybe we're not facing ultimate evils. Maybe there's not an evil power that we're saying that is evil and so we must stand up against it, but there are evils in our world today. And the question is, what are we doing to to reach out to it, to speak into it, to to be a light in darkness? What are we doing? Are we just pretending to be the body of Christ? Are we just pretending that, that we're doing enough? You will always have an excuse for not getting involved. Maybe your excuse is, I, I don't know enough. I'm not sure what I can do. And I'm just not sure. And it's easy for us to make excuses. Have you ever made excuses for why you don't do stuff? I mean, at home we make excuses. Why didn't you clean the bathroom? Why didn't you mow the grass? Why didn't you take out the trash? At work, we give excuses, and our our boss says, hey, why didn't you do X, Y, and Z? And we immediately shoot back, we didn't give me ABC. Sometimes our excuse is it's inconvenient. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to put my all on the line. I don't want to serve because, man, I'm going to be inconvenienced, and I might have to get up earlier in the morning. I might have to do extra work. It's inconvenient. Maybe we're saying it costs. I don't know if I want to get involved because it's going to cost me too much. I remember John Maxwell telling a story that a businessman came to him and said, John, ever since you came to church, you've messed me up. He goes, why is that? He goes, man, I used to go to work, and I'd work 60 hours a week, and I'd go home, and I'd think about how I could make more money at work. And he said, now I'm at work, and I think, what can I do for Skyline, which is the church that John pastored? And as I go home, and I'm like, man, I can't wait to go and and serve at Skyline and help out at Skyline. I, I just can't wait to get involved. He goes, you've really messed up my world. And he goes, thank you. But here's the most important thing. Getting involved changes lives. You see, when you think about if we're selfish, if we say, man, I've got this amount of time, I'm going to keep it all for myself, think of what it's like to change lives. I think of a little boy that he was the only one who brought a sack lunch to follow Jesus. And when they came and said, hey, little boy, we need your food, he could have said, no, you don't. My mom made this. I love this. Go away. But you know, there's something about kids. They're like, okay, here you go. And that little boy had a story about how his sack lunch fed 5,000. And he brought leftovers home to mom. Why did he have leftovers? 
They could share the story on the way home. Look what God did. Look what God did. Look what God did. God is speaking to our lives. He goes, I want to use you. I want to speak to you. I want to do great things through you. But it's so difficult because sometimes we're afraid that if we give it away, that we'll lose it. But here's the thing. Whatever we give for the purpose of God is never, ever lost. Was there a time in your life when you didn't act and you could have? I hit that point in my life where I look back at things and I look back at situations and I'm like, man, I could have done more. I could have done more. When I go up this last summer, I went up to my high school class reunion and they're telling me stories and they're telling me stories thinking that I knew all these stories and some of them I'm like, I had no clue. I'm like, if you guys had let me know, I could, have, I could have helped out. I could have done something about it. Is there ever a time when you realize that you could have done more than you did? How has serving other people compassionately changed your life? We can look and say, you know what, I just want to keep it in my box. And I'm going to hold on to my box, and I'm going to keep it. But Jesus even tells us a story about that. A landowner went away, and he gave ten talents, which was a year's wage to one servant. Or he gave five to one, he gave two to another, and he gave one to the last one. The one with five took it, he invested it well, and it turned from five into ten. The man with two took it, invested it, and he turned his two into four. The man with one dug a hole, buried it, hid it away, drew up a map so he could find it, and was so proud of himself. The first one, Jesus says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful a little, God will trust you with a lot. The second one, Jesus says the same thing. The third one, you know what he says? You wicked, lazy servant. You're saying, well, that's really harsh words. The Greek for that is, you wicked, lazy servant. You see, we don't get rewarded for not doing anything. What is God calling you to do? What is God saying? You can jump on board with this, you can jump on board with this, and you can help. Because everything that we do impacts lives. Both here at Connect Church and away from Connect Church, we're impacting lives. Would you pray with me? We are a people. Connected people, all in God's love. We are a church, connected church, by His own blood. Connecting people together, in perfect harmony. Connecting people to God, for His love sets free. Connecting people to live. Life abundantly